My name is Emily Primo, and I am the Associate Editor of Fraud Magazine. I'm here with Bruce Doris, the ACFE's CEO, because we're going to discuss probably the most anticipated and exciting topics for Facebook Live this year, the five most scandalous fraud cases. Are you excited? I'm <laughs> overly excited. I know each and every person watching this on Facebook Live or recorded is just as excited. We've got lists for virtually everything else at the end of the year, so why not have the top five most scandalous frauds? Yeah, and um, this article isn't available yet, but it will be the first week of January on fraud-magazine.com and in the January-February issue of Fraud Magazine. But we're going to unveil them now and give you a little sneak peek of um, the issue and talk about each case. As a reminder, as we discuss these infamous fraud schemes, we encourage you to share your thoughts and comment on Facebook in the comment section below. Uh, but first, before we jump into the fraud schemes, Bruce, can you tell everybody how we came up with this list? Sure. We started a podcast a number of years ago just to go over a few of the, the more scandalous frauds that, or noteworthy frauds that we had uh, un looked at over the, that past year. They may not have been um, created or by that fraudster during that year, but they certainly came to light during that calendar year. And so when we had that podcast, we noticed it was one of the most uh, listened to and downloaded podcasts. And so earlier in, in uh, 2018, you, along with our communications and research team, started to think about how we could have our own you know, top five list of most scandalous frauds. And that went through a pretty serious vetting process, as you know, Emily, and us looking at what happened in this particular year in 2019. Um, but last year in 2018, a lot of frauds that we looked at, about 10 to 15, did the same thing this year, vetted those out, not so much in terms of what that amount loss would be, because some of these that we'll talk about today, seven, eight billion dollars US, yeah. some not nearly that amount, but what it, how that fraud impacted a community, uh, how it impacted a, a nation, how it impacted a region. And so those were the criteria that the committee within uh, at the ACFE, yeah. along with taking that list, those, those 10 to 15, submitting it to our advisory council, who then did a separate vetting of it and then started to figure out, all right, these we think are the top most scandalous fraud, these top five uh, most scandalous frauds of the year. Uh, and that's where we are today, Emily, putting together a fantastic article that you get to read beginning on January the 1st. But as she said, we're here to unveil and talk about those today. Yeah, it was, a like Bruce said, a, quite the vetting process, very uh, passionate in-house about what we got the list down to, so we didn't make it easy for the advisory council. Yeah, and for those that didn't make it on that list, we have our dishonorable mentions uh, to make sure that, you know, noteworthy nonetheless, but maybe not as scandalous as one of the other ones. So you get to read about that as well. But you'll have to catch that online or in the magazine. Yep. So why don't you kick us off with our list of five? Sure. Uh, the most uh, scandalous one, at least this is in my opinion, others may have it. We have that, that top five list, but one that really stands out is the college admission scandal here in 2019. Operation Varsity Blues, as it was labeled by the Department of Justice in the U.S., this one came to light in March of 2019. 
Uh, as of uh, now, uh, 51 people uh, were alleged to participate this, participate in this particular fraud. And what happened, there was a, uh, an individual named Rick Singer out in California in the Los Angeles area, had a group called the Edge College and Career Network and also had a nonprofit uh, named Key Worldwide Foundation. And what he would do is using his connections, either through certain universities or here in the U.S., or college uh, exam admission takers. Uh, for those who uh, need to get into an exam in the United States, there are certain, or rather to get into a college in the United States, uh, there are certain exams that need to be, be, to be taken. And what, what Rick Singer would do is set up you know, for those to either be um, changed uh, and altered or having just a surrogate test taker come in on certain ones. Now, obviously they didn't do that, he didn't do that for free. And so what he would do is going to some very uh, lucrative and well-known individuals, uh, primarily in the U.S. Uh, many people know who uh, Lori Laughlin is. Aunt uh, Becky. Aunt Becky from Full House <laughs> in the late 1980s, 1990s, and still acting uh, even up until uh, this fraud was uncovered back in March of 2019. Other uh, actors and actresses as well. And then a lot of um, uh, business people uh, who were you know, some very high-ranking yeah. former CEO of PIMCO uh, and others within the West Coast and East Coast of the United States and some very, very uh, highly uh, uh, organizations and, and businesses and uh, within those, um, in those companies. But what was really egregious about this, it wasn't just the fact that they would go in and take those exams. I mean, that alone is pretty... Uh, pronounced, but it was just how part how the the parents yeah. were involved with this, and, and you've read it, Emily. You wrote the story about it, but you've got you know, Rick Singer going to these universities using that connections because a lot of the folks it was over thirty that were just the parents yeah. of the fifty who were involved with this, but not only people within Rick Singer's organization, but also coaches at these very prestigious universities throughout the United States. Uh, University of Southern California is the one that really came to light because of uh, the Hollywood connections yeah. to it. But even here in Austin, Texas, at the University of Texas at Austin, the tennis coach was brought down in this particular scam as well. Yeah. It's interesting the way it came uh, about, there is no honor amongst thieves. Uh, and uh, the Justice Department was, um, uh, investigating a guy named Maury Tobin uh, in Los Angeles for some securities-related fraud. And was, as part of uh, that investigation, uh, he brought to light how he was approached by the soccer coach at Yale. Mm. And then recorded conversation there about how much it would cost in order to be recruited by this prestigious university in order to to move up in the application process because a lot of these teams have a certain amount of applicants mm -hmm. that they can take. And in this case, uh, in certain number of people who went to the highest bidder. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what your take on this one is, Emily, but this one to me is the most scandalous fraud of 2019. Well, and the, the fraud scheme aside, the parents really did a disservice to their, to their children, but it really impacts also a lot of students in America who could have had those spots, who were left out of universities or missed out on opportunities because of this 
elaborate scheme. And so you have you have money changing hands, you have celebrities involved, and then you have the unnamed, the the faceless students who yeah. probably missed out on pretty impressive opportunities because of this scheme. So it really is, like you said, probably at the top of when it comes to egregious acts. That's a great point that you have there. You know, you got a child who has worked their virtually their entire life yeah. at this point. Like, I really want to go to this very elite school. Yeah come from a disadvantaged background and they really work to get there only to have that spot because there's only so uh, few at mm -hmm. that, that because of somebody donating a, um, you know, half a billion dollars yeah. uh, or, or whatever, half a million dollars, sorry, uh, to you know, this foundation uh, in order to, to get their kid in. Yeah. So uh, pretty scandalous in, in my opinion, it looks like it is uh, in yours as yes, well. Yes, it is. But we said there were five on our list. Uh, there's, there's more to come. So shifting gears a little bit uh, from university to data breaches, which I think is always top of mind for our members and our community Absolutely. because fraudsters are using technology every step of the way these days. As we come up with new technology, they're finding ways to break into it, use it for their own nefarious deeds. So in July 2019, Paige Thompson was accused of breaking into the Capital One server and gaining access to 140,000 social security numbers, 1 million Canadian social insurance numbers, and 800,000 bank account numbers, plus wow. an undisclosed number of people's names, addresses, credit scores, credit limits, balances, and other information. Um, it's one of the largest breaches that we've seen. I mean, we've had Anthem, Home Depot, Target. Every yeah. year it seems to be someone new. And you would think at some point we would find a way to, to keep this from happening. But like I said, fraudsters are finding new ways. The interesting thing about this is Thompson tried to share the information with others online, which is how she was caught. But nothing was done with any of this information. It was almost like she was trying to see, can I do this? And are people interested in this information? Well, I talked to Tom Shaw, um, a CFE, who's quoted in the article, and he's a financial now a financial services uh, consultant. And he brought up a really interesting point. While Thompson didn't really do anything with the data, it really put financial institutions um, on their, they had to be on their toes now. Yeah. There's all of this data that's been compromised. They don't know exactly whose data has been compromised. So they really have to shore up their defense systems, come up with new ways to, uh, with, to look at know your customer and um, just really build up their defense to yeah. to be ready if something is done with this data. Yeah, because it could hang out on the dark web for months, if not uh -huh. years, for that matter. Yeah, definitely. So it was, uh, aside from being such a huge breach, I think it's something that fraud examiners um, really every year are trying to find new ways to attack these kinds of breaches or even implement systems to help their companies prevent them. Do you have any? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing is, and that's what we as fraud examiners have to be aware of. 
when you look at the report to the nations, and you've right. been a part of this, Emily, for a number of years as well, when we look at what the, I say stereotypical fraudster is, but it's someone that's been with an organization for a while, maybe high ranking, fairly well educated, but this type of fraudster doesn't fit that norm. Right. And a lot of time, I mean, when you look at uh, that traditional fraudster, I mean, there is a, a financial gain to it. In some of these, it's more about disruption. Yeah. And uh, Ian Yip, who uh, is someone that spoke, has spoken at ACFE conferences, uh, was a former uh, chief technology officer at McAfee in the Asia Pacific region. And I remember Ian talking to me about how you know, it's it's no longer you know this uh, middle-aged person that's highly educated up. It's someone in you know the, their teens even yeah. who are in a their, their house or apartment somewhere just trying to break in yeah. and hack these systems for no other reason but to just do it. To say they could. And so fraud examiners have to be vigilant of that as well. It's not just the inside, but there are so many external threats. I mean, I know Tom Shaw's been in. Uh, finance, with a number of financial institutions yeah. over the years. And I remember one in particular, the cyber defense you know, uh, network that he had within that very large bank. And I mean, it's a constant minute-by-minute uh, minute threat. Yeah. So it's something that we have to be aware of. We have to, to stay on top of. I know the, the most recent issue of Fraud Magazine talks about the dark web and what fraud examiners need to be looking for there, even though it's not something that's and their daily activity, but they need to be aware of it and what fraudsters are doing. Definitely. So that was an easy one to, to throw onto the list, and our advisory council agreed. Yeah, 100 million accounts, that's, 100 that's, million. that's quite a yeah. bit. All right, so number three. Uh, yeah, in fact, in, in talking about volume, and the, the third one that we have on our list, the Steinhoff at International Holdings, or the Steinhoff group based out of South Africa. Uh, this one, uh, largest corporate scandal in South African history, also within uh, Germany uh, and, and other countries here in the U.S., uh, these mattress firm, uh, which they hold as part of their, their holding. So it's a huge uh, corporate accounting scandal. This one's still coming to light, even though it's been uh, over the last uh, two years, you know, slowly coming out, but a few months ago, uh, based off uh, the, the South African government wanting more investigation as well, or more information, as well as internal investigations uh, and external reports from uh, PwC. That PwC report came out uh, noting that it's a $7.4 billion fraud. So we talked earlier about the most scandalous and that some may be quite large. This one, obviously, in terms of some of the accounting failures. Uh, associated with it. Um, the former CEO who uh, stepped down as soon as this came to light, Marcus Eusta, uh, again, based in, uh, in South Africa. You know, the, the report itself, uh, as you know, Emily, as you were doing on your report, over 3,000 pages. Uh, and again, a lot of this is coming to light. A lot of it's still privileged because of the investigation that's going on within the, uh, the governments looking at this. But some of the things that I noticed, were, and, and a lot of fraud examiners will really take uh, note of this, that the levels of deception being quite complex and a lot of the accounting transactions, how well shrouded they were. What they did is looked at a number of uh, acquisitions over the last few years and the value of those 
and how those revenues and ultimately those profits were reported. Uh, and there's been a huge market correction, well, internal corrections uh, as well, but the, the market capitalization just dropped quite a bit as this information has uh, been on ongoing. I think there were eight executives who yeah. uh, were involved with this, uh, as we've learned and, and have And it dropped. lasted for eight years, 20, 2009 to 2017, that they were um, recording irregularities. Yes. Is that right? So... <laughs> Eight I mean, years. <laughs> and, and that's what, as fraud examiners, we really have to start looking at, even within you know, these audited financial statements, is the one thing that we see from the report to the nations is, even though that's the control that's in place, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to find out you know, where fraud is simply yeah. because of, of that opinion. And that we as fraud examiners have to make sure that we've got a good uh, internal audit function, especially in something uh, as this large, uh, of an organization, but making sure there are multiple controls in place to try to to catch some of this uh, at a much earlier uh, uh, time period rather than right. for it to go on for, for that many years. Uh, a lot of the third parties involved with this, and Emily, you may have seen this as well, where those executives were involved with it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's interesting if you go back and look, could this somehow have been caught a little bit earlier with yeah. some, some due diligence? We don't know right now, but it's something that came to light mm -hmm. uh, in 2019 yep. and is obviously one of the top uh, most scandalous frauds uh, as reports and costly. Yeah. Uh, when you look at it, absolutely. So it, it, a lot of people affected by this, not just uh, shareholders, but obviously these businesses here in the United States. Uh, those in Europe and, yeah. and obviously in Africa. Yeah. So now, huge. So while we are global, yeah. should we stay global for the next fraud scheme, the number four? Well, the one, that, yeah, I mean, that one's in South Africa and other parts. I think uh, the one that you're going to talk about really goes beyond just uh, a couple of countries, but some ones that are really on a lot of people's radar for a number of reasons. I'll yeah. let you uh, talk about that one, Emily. So our fourth, before I get into our fourth case, just a friendly reminder to, to engage with us on Facebook, get into the comments section, leave some questions. We're, we have a team here that's working to answer them for you. So um, we love to hear from you guys, um, which now I will unveil our number four fraud case, which is, the U.S. charges Chinese telecom giant Huawei with fraud and stealing trade secrets. Now, this one, Bruce, I thought was really fascinating because it seems so complicated in nature and there's a lot of different moving pieces. And the first time I read it, I kind of stopped and went, huh, and really had to get into it to, to do my write-up yeah. because it involves, like you said, multiple countries, uh, the U.S., Canada, Iran, and um, I feel like there's one more. Is that correct? The U.S., Canada, and Iran are the major China. ones. Oh, and China, of course. <laughs> and um, basically what happened is the U.S. charged, or U.S. authorities charged telecom, the telecom giant and smartphone maker Huawei with nearly two dozen criminal charges and sought extradition of Huawei's uh, chief financial officer from yeah. Canada. So she lives in, uh, she's in uh, British Cooper. Columbia. Okay, yeah, yeah uh-huh. And, um, but the business is in Canada and 
The reason that they fell onto the radar is because authorities claim that Huawei misled the U.S. government about the company's business in Iran, which is under U.S. economic sanctions mm -hmm. since uh, 2018, yeah. right? And so the indictment alleges that Huawei misled the U.S. and a global bank about its relationship with two subsidiaries, Huawei Device USA and Skycon Tech, to conduct business in Iran. And but there's more. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> a second indictment alleges that Huawei stole technology from T-Mobile, which is um, a U.S. phone company. Yes. T well, uh, well, based out of Germany. But based in, out of in, Germany. Yes. Um, and they used uh, they used the technology to test smartphone durability. Plus, they obstructed justice and committed wire fraud which Huawei says was settled in a civil case back in 2014, but it's coming up with mm. all of this. Um, Huawei's chief financial officer has been charged with wire fraud, bank fraud, conspiracy to commit bank fraud and wire fraud in relation to skirting American sanctions in Iran. So it's really convoluted mm. and multiple parties are involved. This has got like a Hollywood it type of appeal to it because you've got... Obviously, politics uh, involved with it when you've got uh, extradition between uh, the United States, Canada, uh, and, and China, those issues playing out, uh, and then Iran as well. And then when you look at it beyond just that type of intrigue, but then you have the stealing of those secrets. Yeah. And so I can imagine certain individuals in Hollywood playing out a yeah. lot of these roles. Well, maybe not. Aunt Becky, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, or maybe <laughs> she might so, be in jail but, uh, you know, when you start looking at how that's, uh, um, play, it's just, it's fascinating yeah. uh, in a bad way, nonetheless, but still it's fascinating how about how this, uh, has been, um, you know, come to light. It kind of reminds of, me of one of our ones, our top frauds last year, the one MDB, uh, scandal. Yeah. How, I mean, gosh, that, could be a Hollywood movie all on its own with all of the characters involved there. And I'm sure it will be one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this one's really, really fascinating because again, of just the, the, you wake up the next morning, you hear the news and you know, of this very, very large organization to which some of you may actually have those mobile devices. Uh, you may be watching it on that mobile device right yeah. now. So it's just, uh, it's incredible the size of, yeah. of this particular fraud. And it's not over yet. Uh, Canada's holding um, Huawei's chief yeah. financial officer and the next, um, I guess the next hearing is scheduled for March 2020, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So still some time for this to play out and maybe other interesting stories to come to light. Absolutely. So... All right, well, I'll let you close us down with the fifth. All right, our, our fifth fraud. one, our last one uh, for the, the top five most scandalous frauds of 2019. Well, it's an over a $1 billion, nearly $1.7 billion uh, Medicare fraud here in the United States, also called Operation Brace Yourself. So we had Operation uh, Varsity, Varsity Blues, Blues earlier, so it's good to round out with another operation. And by the, uh, the Justice Department, uh, this one involved 24 different defendants, over 80 search warrants, uh, 17 different districts with strike forces in the healthcare fraud uh, here in the United States. But it's got an international appeal as well. What happened in this particular case, you have very uh, tar targeted group, elderly, those who are disabled, 
who need some type of durable medical equipment. And this could be a neck brace uh, and uh, uh, braces uh, for other parts of the body as well. An arm sling and for arm surgery. Yeah. yeah. And, and so what happened is you've got these, telemark uh, these telemedicine groups who were fraudulent uh, working outside of the U.S., uh, I believe uh, in Southeast Asia and Latin America, who were using doctors and giving them kickbacks in order for them to refer Medicare patients to. And again, a lot of these are elderly. And so when you look at elder fraud in general, I mean, it's very, very pervasive. And it's just a, a, a very, very wrong on a number of levels. And I think every year the amount lost in elder fraud becomes the most lost every year. It's more and more. I mean, you've got people who are, who, who can't take advantage of, of being able to look at fraud magazine or perhaps get a fraud right. examiner in because they've got someone who called them up and said, you definitely need this. Uh, and if they're in their 70s or 80s and you're dealing with a lot of medical issues already and they hear this and okay, yeah, well, I guess they're trying to help me. They wouldn't have called me out of nowhere and, and done that nonetheless. Yeah, and instead, it doesn't impact them because even though it's uh, nearly $2 billion uh, as it costs uh, the federal government and the taxpayers in the United States, but now these people who, whose identities were used to get yeah. this in a year, if they actually do need that, they're going to have a problem. They've right. got a lot of paperwork. It's just like anyone else suffering from identity theft. Now they've got to go through the process of trying to clear their name in order to get the, the medical attention that they need. So the victimization of this is, is even larger than the over billion dollar fraud that it had uh, within the United States yeah. and the government. It's just what the impact is on that. I mean, your thoughts on this is just really, really sad. Uh, yeah. And I hate to, I mean, they're all sad, but this one, because of, of just how it impacts someone's health yeah. and then being able to do what they need to, to just to survive. When fraudsters target the vulnerable, um, you know, set up social security numbers using children's names, thus, you know, ruining their credit for the future. Yeah. And, um, you know, fraud schemes that impact the elderly, romance scams, phishing scams, they all feel exceptionally sure. dirty because these people, they, they need someone to defend them. And yeah. oftentimes they're stuck in situations where they don't have that somebody that could have prevented this from happening to them in the first place. So yeah, yeah it's uh, definitely one of the more, you know, the harder to stomach sure. fraud schemes. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, when you look at the number of defendants in, in this particular case, um, when you see those early morning search warrants, a lot of times that you're thinking that, you know, this is some violent criminal that happened yeah. to go in. But, you know, these are doctors who are involved with this. Uh, in fact, there was one uh, within the, the indictment. And this person lived uh, somewhere in the Midwest, yet it was a doctor in Florida uh, that was part yeah. of the scam that never even met, the, you know, maybe had a quick phone call, if even that over the phone with them. And yet here's not thousands of dollars worth of equipment that they don't need in order for that person to yeah. get a, to get a kickback and, you know, for these uh, telemedicine groups uh, to, to um, take advantage of not just uh, the government uh, and Medicare, but really just, you know, those who are, as you were saying, Emily, uh, the, the most vulnerable of us yeah. all. So unfortunately we end on kind of a, it, it, ending on a, a sad, sad note, note, but you know, that's, 
these are the most five scandalous frauds that we've unveiled here today. Um, again, as Emily mentioned, if you go to fraudmagazine.com on January the 1st, you'll get to read a lot more about it, and, and perhaps there's some other links within there as well. Yeah, there are. There are there are links within the story that can take you to other sources that I used to put together these stories yeah. where you can read more about each fraud scheme. And like we mentioned at the beginning, there will be dishonorable mentions. We have some other fraud schemes that were worth mentioning, but maybe didn't quite make it to the top of the list. And even those who are watching this on Facebook right now, if there's something that you didn't see after January the 1st or you're listening right down, you may want to put that into the comment section. Yeah. So many people read this, so we want to bring as much as we can to light through the comment section. So please make sure to, you know, what impacted you and your region the most, add that in there for the rest of the fraud examination field to look at and to, and to know about as well. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks again, Thank Emily, you. for yeah. being a part of this. Thank you for, for watching. And, you know, go to fraudmagazine.com and look at that story on January the 1st. Please do. Thanks. Bye-bye.